Welcome to Diverse, a Society of Women Engineers podcast. SWE gives women engineers a unique place and voice within the engineering community. On Diverse, we highlight incredible women in STEM and discover who they are at home, at work, and everywhere in between. You can find all of our episodes online at podcast.swe.org or wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. Hello and welcome to Diverse, a sweet podcast. I'm your host, Sam East, and today's episode is an exciting roundtable discussion with three incredible women from Smith & Nephew. Smith & Nephew is a medical technology company focused on the repair, regeneration, and replacement of hard and soft tissue. And they are also our sponsor for today's episode. Today, I'm joined by Senior Director of Hardware Engineering, Robotics, and Enabling Technologies, Kalavati Basham. Senior Quality Director, Arthroscopic Enabling Technologies, Angela Mejia, and Rooney Brownhill, Director of Strategic Sciences, Wound Management, R&D. Ladies, I am so excited to be with you. You are all powerhouses in your own right. Thank you. We're happy to be here, too. Yeah, it's a pleasure and an honor to be here with Sweet. Looking forward to the conversation. Super excited. We love to always start in the beginning here. Most of our listeners are women in STEM. So let, let's take it back to the beginning. Kalel, let's start with you. Where did your journey in STEM and engineering really begin? Thank you, Sam. I think I was always interested in science and technology from when I was uh, pretty young, probably because of just where I was brought up, which was in India. And people who have lived in India will empathize with the fact that that's typically where uh, you are directed to grow uh, in uh, both engineering or medicine, sometimes law. But, uh, But I had an early propensity to mathematics and algorithms and computer science and uh, also biology. So I think my turning point um, came when I was uh, getting into my grad school, well, I should say undergraduate education. And uh, I had a a lot of passion for environmental engineering and I really wanted to do that. But my father advised me to pick a broader field. And uh, I knew that chemical engineering was not what I wanted to do, even though that would be a direct segue into environmental engineering, because as much as chemical sounds like it's all about chemistry, it is not. So I ended up picking electronics engineering because it was something I was good at and interested in. And honestly, that actually shapes my career from then on. I very much at the end of my undergraduate education, so in my fourth year or my senior year, decided that I really wanted to do something that was a blend of uh, biology and engineering, which is what uh, took me into biomedical engineering and actually brought me to the United States. And once I did my master's in biomedical engineering, there was no looking back. I was in medical devices from then on and subsequent education has been primarily to hone my skills and keep up with the latest rather than changing a specialization. And uh, I've been extremely happy and pleased with the, with where I am and what I do. Mm. And what was the transition like moving from India to America and and as you were growing in your career path? Yeah, it was actually quite hard 
when I look back, I think I typified what would be the fresh off boat, fresh off the boat, you know, perception of what you would expect for someone from another country immigrating into the United States. My biggest challenge, though, from an educational perspective, was just a very different style of thinking mm. that is a uh, that is prevalent in American universities, and I think it's a great thing. In Indian universities, a lot of our education is more rote, more theoretical. Uh, we don't get a lot of practical experience with projects and products. Uh, but when you come into the United States, I think the relationship between a teacher and a student is much more casual. It's a, a different type of relationship where you it's okay to challenge your teacher and, and ask mm. them questions. And and your teacher generally appreciates that and, and encourages it. You're also encouraged to think more laterally and, and also think about more real world instances and examples of how you could apply your learnings. And also just doing a lot of practical hands-on work, doing internships, doing projects. Those are uh, a lot more emphasized uh, here than I think maybe we even had resources for it in my university in India. But I, I came in with a very strong theoretical background, which, which certainly helped with future growth. Uh, so my fundamentals are strong, but the application side is what I learned much more uh, here through my master's and through my career. Mm, that I, you know, I ask because there very well could be someone who has a, a similar journey, perhaps even coming from India to America and would relate to the story that you just shared. Absolutely. And Angela, what about you? What was the uh, origin story for your career in education in STEM? Well, you know, Sam, as a, a people leader in engineering with a, a drive to hire, you know, increase the presence of women and increase diversity on my team, I, I think about this question somewhat frequently. You know, my, my journey began with um, you know, loving and highly supportive and hardworking parents, but you know, they didn't really push me into any specific direction. Mm -hmm. I, you know, when I reflect back on my on my early and formative years, I, I'm really appreciative that I didn't have strong gender roles imposed on me. You know, mm -hmm. I, I grew up in a rural area with mm -hmm. um, almost no TV presence in my younger years. I had one older brother, so I was used to following in his footsteps. I loved helping my dad fix cars and projects around the house. And, and my mom was a person who, you know, had no issues, you know, doing physical work and would mow the yard. So I really grew up with, I think, viewing myself in the world as the person and, and not necessarily as a female, right? And so mm -hmm. I think those formative years had a, a big impression on me just with the rest of, of my life, not just thinking, well, should I do this because I'm a female? And of course, I had insecurities like everyone else, but they weren't necessarily related to, you know, my role as a female in the room. Yeah, you know, I never knew throughout school what career I was going to pursue. And like I said, my parents didn't push me into a specific direction, but I loved math and science. I knew that. I always found math's, I guess, definitive nature, very satisfying. And, you know, science, beautiful and exciting, and I still do. So I never had the idea that girls weren't supposed to be good in STEM. Mm. Uh, so, you know, we all have different experiences depending on our generation and our life experiences, but I feel pretty lucky in that respect. Now, I think what's really interesting is that, you know, I was never told girls couldn't pursue certain things or that they shouldn't be good in STEM. But when I started to formulate what I wanted to pursue in college, 
even though I was, you know, a high performing student with strong grades in STEM, I thought, you know, maybe I'll be a teacher or a nurse, which, you know, reflecting back, obviously, historically female roles, you know, so mm. I think that, you know, to me, what I've deduced is that's, that's kind of an indication of even in the best of circumstances, when you're growing up, not being told to stay in your lane as a, as a female, you're still influenced by society's expectations for women and and where we fit. So, you know, that that makes me think about um, at Smith and Nephew, we have people manager training on unconscious bias. And mm. and that training has been amazing for giving me vocabulary, giving me just structure to understand and think about roadblocks to building a diverse workforce. So, you know, I, I joined university of course, there are a larger percentage of men in engineering classes, but my freshman class at Texas A&M University was the first class in its history that had a higher percentage of females in the freshman class than males. And so wow. I could feel things changing. You know, I could feel times changing. A historically all-male school, now we had more female females in the freshman class than men. I learned about industrial engineering from a neighbor I had while I was living at college. And it seemed like the perfect marriage for me of some of my passions, which were organization, efficiency, math and science. And so transferred into the College of Engineering. Uh, and I have had roles in engineering uh, my entire career. Uh, so that's kind of what my journey in STEM has been. That That is so inspiring. And I love how you were able to come into the field so feeling supported, it sounds like. It sounds like Absolutely. you have backing behind you. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel, you know, maybe some of it is willful ignorance or some of it is just something that I haven't noticed. But in general, you know, I've I've been given plenty of opportunities for leadership roles and supported by the managers I've had. And so I feel very fortunate to have the path I've had. Mm. And Rooney, of course, what is what was your start? in STEM? What inspired you to pursue this? Hey, Sam. So as a child, I was a really annoying, curious little child. Um, you know, I feel sorry for my parents, but but what I was really curious was about the human biology. It totally fascinated me that, you know, our biology can be broken and we could have interventions that can sort of fix that broken biology. Um, so why? Why did that um, always fascinate me? I suppose for me, the whole fragility of the of the human system. So if you take a cell, for example, you know, mm -hmm. this microscopic entity, you know, it's highly fragile. It, it, you can you can change it, you can destroy it with, you know, with, with various external stimuli. However, as a system, as a cellular system, they are quite resilient and adapt to change. So that concept, you know, how can something so fragile be so robust or be so resilient really baffled me. And also I remember as actually in my, my schooling age, I, I learned about the um, the coagulation cascade or the blood clotting cascade apologies. Um, and I remember that there were so many sequences of events. So you had a particular factor turn into another factor that went into another factor, et cetera, et cetera. So there was these like a sequence of events and finally you formed the clock. And to me, when I looked at those mechanisms, the beauty of it all was just something that really fascinated me. So that's how I ended up really pursuing the science because I was really curious about the, the human body and I really wanted to um, choose STEM subjects, so the usual suspects, biology, chemistry, physics, 
And I chose that in my school. I followed that all the way through to university. And finally, I pushed it all the way into undertaking a PhD. So that's how I sort of ended up in STEM and pushing it all the way through to a, a more focused and uh, a discipline. Well, you know, what a career trajectory. And it all started from what you said, your wording, being an annoying, curious kid. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so someone might be listening to that and relating. So if you're, you know, identifying with being annoying and curious, that isn't necessarily a bad thing, according to Rudy. You. <laughs> and, and this question here is, is one for all of you. What drew you specifically to working in this sector of medical devices and technology? And then if you can expand on what the challenges were that were unique to this sector of engineering. Rooney, we'll start with you. Hey, Sam, sure. Um, so I talked to you about sort of doing my PhD. I did my PhD in pharmacology. So that really, as a, as a training and my PhD, really pushed me to, to the, uh, for the drug discovery industry, the pharma industry. And when you look at the pharma industry, the typical um, discovery to launch phase is, is, can take over a decade. It's a very lengthy timeline. And I soon realized that that was you know, my personality kind of made me think I wanted to make an impact a lot quicker rather than having to wait such a such a lengthy timeline. So that I sprung out of the, the pharma industry, even though it gave me a great gra- a grounding and understanding of how I um, do my scientific research. I went into the technical consultancy world where I work with the FMCG sector. So these are the fast moving goods sector where their life cycles are really short. But you know what? I really wanted to help patients. That was really my drive and my passion. So I came, uh, I, I came across the medical device industry where, again, in the medical device industry, the sort of launch to, um, sorry, to, to discover to launch is a lot shorter than the pharma industry. So that's how I really chose and wanted to go into, um, into the medical uh, device sector. But having gone through into that, what I realized that in the medical device world, really, especially the, the area that I'm working in currently in the management world, you know, our products really capitalize on features and benefits. They don't really talk about the underpinning biology or how the product is developing, delivering the outcome. So I decided to change that, you know, and it's reflective of my career path and where I sit right now today is that I wanted the business or I wanted our R&D organization to understand that not just features and benefits of the product um, allows you obviously this quicker um, route to market where you predicate against existing uh, technology and, and you really use that as your differentiator. But understanding the underpinning biology allows you a far more dis- powerful differentiator. It also allows you better innovation because you're you're focusing on around uh, how products delivering outcomes. So you're really focusing on uh, coming up with the next generation um, uh, products that can uh, make a change for, for patients and our customers. So that's some of the changes I, um, I've made, some of the challenges I felt and why I ended up um, where I am today. Mm. And Angela, what about you? What drew you to working uh, in the sector of medical devices and technology and some of the challenges you may have experienced? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it was actually luck that I ended up in medical device. Uh, you know, I, I worked as an industrial engineer in semiconductor initially out of school for a couple of different companies. I learned tons. I, it had really exciting elements. Um, but still being pretty early in my career, I was like, let me see what else is out there. Let me try something different. And I applied for a job at a medical device company. 
again, I wasn't particularly seeking that out. I was seeking something different. But when I started working there, I just found medical devices so tangible and meaningful. You know, at my first job in med device, I was a manufacturing engineer. And so I had the role of leading installation of uh, equipment in the factory. So I would, you know, lead the installation and programming of lathes and mills that would cut orthopedic implants to fit into the human body. And that was just such a direct, satisfying outcome of my day, day-to-day work, having an impact on people's lives. I knew right away that, you know, this was a place for me. And so I, I just have always felt a huge responsibility and a huge motivation to do the best of my job. One of my previous leaders and a role model for me, a, a leader in a company was commonly or commonly known to state that it's a privilege to work in the medical device industry. Uh, that was something that she routinely told her staff. You know, not only have I never forgotten that, I tell myself that all the time. I tell my staff that all the time. And it really does bring home, uh, you know, the importance of what we do every day and how it impacts people. Mm-hmm. So unique challenges, I would say, and I have some very direct insight into this as a quality uh, employee, is we have a high level of regulation that we have to meet. And that regulation is constantly changing. Uh, You know, the regulations are different from country to country. Um, The biggest topic in the industry for years now has been new um, European Union regulation that all medical device manufacturers who want to sell in the European Union have to comply with. And it's huge changes. So, you know, that's a that's a challenge for us in this industry is, you know, constantly chasing a moving target. At the end of the day, that target is intended to improve safety and efficacy of devices. So not a bad thing, but it's certainly a challenging way to work. Mm. And Kala, what about you? What drew you to working in the sector of medical devices and technology and the challenges like Rooney and Angela spoke about as well? Thanks, Sam. I think some of my uh, push-pull relationship between engineering and medicine started when I left medicine behind to pick engineering as my major in my undergraduate education. And very similar to Rooney, I, I was fascinated by biology, right? And I'm fascinated by how the human body worked. Uh, but since I'd left it behind, I focused on the more math and algorithms and the electrical aspects of what I was studying, which was equally interesting, just in a different way. But in my senior year, we got the opportunity to take electives. And yes, you don't get to take electives in India throughout your education. It's just in the senior year, it was a new thing that was being offered in our university. I took uh, some classes about medical device instrumentation, and fuzzy logic. For those who don't know what fuzzy logic means, it's about replicating this uh, very innate thinking that humans are able to apply to activities we do on a daily basis. For example, uh, the easiest one that comes to mind is cooking. I cook Mm -hmm. by feel and just taste and just a uh, intuitive sense for how much of a spice I need to put in. And I cook mm-hmm. a lot of Indian food. Mm-hmm. And if someone asked me to tell them what recipe I used, I could not tell you proportions <laughs> and measurements, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's fuzzy, but I can repeatedly make the same dish every time, right? 
why are we able to do that and what's unique about how we think, right? And so when I was learning that class, we went into neural networks, which is, while it sounds like it's about the brain, it's actually about replicating, again, the thinking of our brain and, and how to program that into a computer. And that's when it struck me that the human body is such an efficient and compact way of producing this extraordinary intelligence that we don't appreciate, right? And that we are constantly trying to replicate through our computer systems and our programs and our electronics. And that kind of drew me back into that field. So which is why I, I started looking at biomedical engineering as an op opportunity to kind of find an intersection between both these fields, uh, which I was so passionate about. Mm. Once I did BME, um, I was hooked, right? I knew this is what I wanted to be doing because uh, just to you know reiterate the reasons others mentioned about impacting patient lives, seeing a direct translation of engineering work into healthcare outcomes. Mm. Um, you can speak to family members. You've potentially used products that you've helped design and see the benefits of it, be more informed about that industry. But what's interesting also is the very unique challenges that the industry faces. So we've talked about the regulation, right? And the regulation is generally one of the biggest reasons people hesitate also to move into medical devices because it can sometimes be slower paced in terms of how quickly technology adoption happens within the industry than, than other areas. But it's also re again re-emphasizing the importance to patient safety and efficacy, right? There's a huge emphasis on that. And the unique engineering challenges that we come across are how do you make sure a device is safe to be worn on a patient all the time? So from an electrical engineer standpoint, how do you know that I won't shock the patient if something goes mm. wrong? How do I make sure that another device I'm wearing does not interfere with this device that I've also have hooked up to my body? Mm -hmm. um, that's an electrical engineering problem. And there are some really difficult standards that set the bar on how we ensure safety for our patients. There's a biocompatibility challenge. How do you know that something that is contacting patient skin or maybe implanted in a patient is not adversely causing reactions within their body and um, causing long-term side effects that we may not have uh, a line of sight to? Uh, what about sterilization? How do you ensure the product is clean so if it comes in contact with the wound that it mm. doesn't, again, hurt the patient, right? So you can see the thread running through all of that of the patient safety aspect. And then there are a lot of standards and regulations that drive that thinking. And I look at those standards as a guidepost, right? They, they tell you the types of considerations you should have in mind, especially for newer engineers coming into the field. Mm -hmm. But it also really ensures that we're thinking of all these very unique challenges that are specific to this industry where mistakes can have you know significant consequences but there are also enormous benefits associated with uh with your device and your product performing well mm. you know the the common thread i'm hearing from all of you is you can immediately see the impact of your work in in people's day-to-day -day lives absolutely yes yes absolutely and that fuzzy that fuzzy intuition mm -hmm. Fuzzy, what was it called? Fuzzy, Fuzzy logic. logic. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to steal that. I really like that one. Yes, I know. That. It just stuck with me from the time I heard it. And I'm like, wow, how do we do that? And I, it, it's still not known. That's the most fascinating part is yeah. you still don't know how humans can think about so many different things 
and we can just keep going on like artificial right. intelligence versus artificial general intelligence and what mm. the differences are and how you try to replicate a human and can you even replicate them if you don't have a body and hormones and you know the same type of inputs and emotions that we have today that oh computers don't so i hope so my topic. goodness <laughs> yeah that's a whole other episode i think we'll have you back for that one <laughs> uh, well we've we've heard a lot about your individual career trajectories what inspired you to get here the challenges you may have faced and it's clear that professional development mentorship these are really important parts when it comes not just to attracting talent, but growing engineers into leaders. So can you share, uh, and we'll start with you, Angela, about some of the professional development programs that Smith & Nephew offers and your involvement in them? Absolutely. So you know, I've been at Smith & Nephew for almost 17 years, so I've experienced the company evolve over time and with respect to development in a very positive direction. We've had an ever-increasing availability of development programs available to the employees. And that's both at a, an early in your career individual contributor level uh, to very senior leadership in the organization. Uh, so we have lots of different programs that are right-sized for where you are in your career. I've um, had experience with these programs both from the receiving end, as well as nominating my team members to participate. Uh, so we have a specific program called Pioneer Program. Several years ago, my, my manager nominated me to participate. You know, it's a 12-week program. And, you know, you really need the space to carve out of your, your day job, I like to say, to dedicate time to it. And so, you know, Smith & Nephew having these programs and then allowing you to carve out time to participate in them you know, really is what leads to successful development. That program taught me how to engage and, and motivate employees or gave me different perspectives on it. I learned how to give recognition and uh, constructive feedback, some things that I should consider from the employee's perspective. And then participants in the program, we have the ability to meet with a diverse group of leaders across Smith & Nephew. So it wasn't just you know, people in STEM or other leaders that I worked with in a day-to-day -day basis. It might be somebody that works in a non-technical field on the other side of the, the country or the other side of the world. So it was a really valuable experience to give me a new perspective um, from professional coaches in this area. So another program is the Elevate program. And this one is one I love to nominate my team members for. It is specifically designed for high potential female employees. It's intended to build confidence, deliver a framework for learning and development, accelerate development, and um, just, you know, build engagement. And um, obviously, all of these programs are focused on helping with retention. You know, Smith & Nephew mm -hmm. It's clear that one of our values is, you know, one of our, our, our biggest resources, our most important resource is our people. And so we want to keep our team members engaged. We want to keep people learning and growing. And that's the best way to have a high-performing team. And Kala, what about you? Do you have some examples you want to share about the professional development programs at Smith & Nephew? So I've actually been at Smith & Nephew for just over a year. Oh. And just in my short time here, I think I've been exposed to several programs, many of which Angela already touched on. So I won't repeat what Angela mentioned, but I will re-emphasize again that, you know, we have a lot of programs that are directed at different levels of 
uh, your career, right? So you may be an individual contributor just entering the industry and you want to learn more about what are the different functions that you could perform in an organization and how do they work with each other and what are the cross-functional aspects to consider. And we have the SNAP program, which is the Smith & Nephew Acceleration Program, to which we induct uh, newly hired uh, college graduates. And that's the entire intent behind that program is to give them exposure to R&D, to manufacturing, to other aspects of the business so that they essentially are accelerated in their growth because a typical career, it, it takes you a fair amount of time to gain that cross-functional interaction through your regular projects or your regular day job, as, as Angela was mentioning. So mm -hmm. that's one of the really cool programs that I speak to students about a lot when I go to career fairs and I tend to go to career fairs to hire uh, fresh talent into the company. Outside of that, like Angela mentioned, I've nominated or supported other employees of my own, you know, from my own staff or other cross-functional groups work through the Pioneer program and the Leadership Beginnings program, which is, again, targeted more towards new leaders who have not had any experience, whereas the Pioneer program is targeted to leaders who've maybe spent a year in their role and are looking to hone their skills better. And there are other programs that are even targeted at the executive level and, and you know, much more senior growth level, you know, senior positions within the company. So I think it's fascinating that the company puts so much emphasis on uh, ensuring that you have opportunities, everyone has opportunities to access uh, education, either through content internally created, through pairing you up with mentors within the organization. We have this really cool program called Reverse Mentorship Program, where a very senior member of the organization is actually getting mentored by a junior member of the organization. Mm. Uh, and it creates an interesting dynamic. It allows for the, I, I don't know who I would call the mentee in that case, but let's call the junior member the uh, the person who is who's mentoring to answer and address some of the challenges the senior member or their mentee or reverse mentee is facing and, and creates that um, that opportunity to empathize with some of the challenges maybe that your senior leadership might face while the senior leader gets an opportunity to directly interact and understand the thought process and thinking and even influence that for uh, some of the junior members in the organization. So I think it's fascinating how uh, we've been very creative mm -hmm. about uh, creating unique programs, but also making sure that everyone at every level has an opportunity to um, access these educational opportunities. Mm. And and Rooney, any um, programs that you'd like to speak to, the ones that are helping to grow engineers into leaders? Absolutely. I mean, you know, Kala and Angela really spoke about the, the wealth of uh, experiences we have. Um, I mean, to be honest, Kala just said that she's only been here a year. Compared to Kala, I'm, I'm a little bit of geriatric, actually, in, in many <laughs> in many ways. But anyway, let's let's not um, go too far in that. But um, for, for, for me, uh, I think I, I want to kind of also dwell on the traditional mentoring route. So I, I want that's something that I have done and I would hugely encourage um, any person, you know, to find yourself a mentor. The way I selected them was, you know, the values that I admired, the behaviors I wanted to mimic, 
So, um, and I reached out. I didn't, you know, necessarily get invited, but I, I, I reached out to them. Um, right now, I have two incredible mentors. I have a C-suite executive female mentor, which, you know, I'm, wow. um, I'm, yeah, really uh, proud and, and impressed with. Uh, and it all started with, and I'm not saying for you guys to just, you know, fire out emails to all your C-suites, but, um, you know, we had a, a, a VIP visit and I, I presented uh, at the VIP visit and I, I really resonated with this, um, with our VIP and following that I followed through with an email and I asked and, and that's how my um, introduction began so I would highly recommend that and with the nephew is is really good at you know taking time so these guys have very little time to give to other people but they do so you know I'm very lucky and uh, I think with the nephew it is um, very good at um, encouraging that. Mm-hmm. Yeah lots of people for those who are listening right now and and curious about the programs that Smith and Nephew offer. I think you three beautifully detailed what opportunities could be on the horizon for people who are really growing in this field. So diversity, equity, and inclusion, they're really, and belonging, core values for SWE. And it sounds like your company shares those values. Angela, can you speak more about Smith and Nephew's diversity initiatives and what exactly the company is doing to support a more diverse workforce? I would love to. It's one of my favorite things about Smith & Nephew. So we have 10 employee inclusion groups. So four of those focus on women, just on women. And so obviously we're uh, big supporters of our team members and our employees joining SWE. We have a representation at the local, regional, and global level at Smith & Nephew. And so we are are very active in SWE. We're really excited to uh, partner with you guys for this podcast. And uh, I think that sums it up. Awesome. Well, thank you both. Thank you all so much. Kala, Angela, Rooney from Smith & Nephew for taking the time to speak with us today, for going, taking a trip down memory lane, how you started in STEM and providing some real inspiration for those who are looking to enter this industry. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Sam. I'm your host, Sam East. And from all of us at SWE, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to subscribe, leave a review and share this episode with your social network. You can visit podcast.swe.org to keep up with our episodes and learn more about how the Society of Women Engineers empowers women to achieve their full potential as engineers and leaders.